We're continuing our series through the New Testament letter of Romans, so please do uh, grab your Bible and turn to Romans 7. Now, as you do that, I, um, I'm sure many of you have had conversations with people um, about Jesus, and maybe if you ask someone to tell you um, what Christianity is all about, now, other than Jesus... Hopefully they would mention Jesus, although you can't guarantee it. Um, they'll probably mention rules, commandments. They'll probably think, yeah, Moses, they might mention him. They might say about the two tablets. They might say uh, about do not murder, do not lie, you know, those sorts of things. I wonder what you might say. You know, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you, this deal of the law or, or these rules that were given to Moses, the, called the Mosaic Law, like, how would you answer the question, what is your relationship to the law as a follower of Jesus? Maybe you've thought about that. Maybe you thought, oh, actually, I don't really know. Do I follow the law now I'm united to Jesus? Like, do I just pick some of those laws and not others? What is my relationship to the law? There's this one law in the Old Testament. Um, you've got to bear in mind that this thousands of years ago, a whole different context, but there's this uh, one verse, uh, Numbers chapter 15, verse 38, where it says that you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. So looking around, I'm a bit disappointed not to see any tassels or any blue cords on those. So, you know, there, there are obviously some laws that we uh, choose not to, to follow. So it's, it's good for us um, to wrestle with this idea of the law. And that's exactly what Paul is doing uh, here in Romans chapter 7. He's laid a foundation of uh, righteousness and salvation and justification being a gift given to us by God that we receive by faith. And now he's facing questions, for, especially from the Jews, of, well, what about the law then? We've spent our whole lives following the law. Now what? So let's read verses 1 to 6. We'll sort of gradually uh, work our way uh, through. The chapter is sort of split up into a couple of uh, main sections, so we'll look at the first six verses as the first part. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies... She is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who, ra who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we're in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. 
So Paul basically gives this statement, essentially, that we are dead to the law, and then he gives this picture of marriage. Essentially, he could have probably given it either way, you know, in terms of the, the husband or the wife. But he, he says that this, this wife is bound to her husband. There's this, there's this relationship and this covenant relationship that's not to be broken but is broken by death. And then the, that person is freed to marry another person. And so our relationship to the law, as we take that example, is that we are dead to the law. We're completely dead to it. That the law, the Mosaic law, is, has absolutely no authority over us. We are completely, 100% released from it. 100% released from it. So if you're asked the question like, you know, are you under the law? You can answer no. Absolutely not. I'm freed from being under the law. I have died to it. And people who are dead, obviously, they just don't, uh, they don't respond to anything. They don't respond. They're absolutely dead to it. So we don't respond, therefore, in that way to the law. We're dead to it. This will be our subject for today. Um, but it's important to say that our new relationship that we have is with Christ. Okay, that's chapter 8. We'll get to that next week, and I'll obviously unpack a bit of that uh, this week just to give us hopefully a bit of, bit of balance here. But our new relationship is in the Spirit. It's with the law of Christ, not the Mosaic law. So we're under Christ's law. He summed up the law as love God and love your neighbor. It's this, it, Jesus is bringing a whole different, um, uh, well, he, he summarizes the law. He says, look, this is what you should be focusing on, really what you should have been focusing on the whole time, loving God and loving other people. So we'll cover that a bit more uh, next week. But if life is only found in dying to the law, and dying to our old self, dying to the flesh, and being united to Christ, then it begs the question, and the question comes here, either hypothetically or someone is, is dialoguing with Paul. It begs the question, is there a problem with the law? Was there a problem like all along with it? So God gives the law to Moses, and then for thousands of years, like, was that just like a bad plan? Like, did it just go wrong? Did, did the law not fulfill what God intended it to do, to bring life? Did it not fulfill that? Verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So what is the purpose of the law? Well, it shows us that we are sinners. It shows us, really, that we fall short. In essence, it diagnoses the problem. It's like an MRI machine. You go into it, and it diagnoses what the problem is. The law is like an MRI machine. 
or it's like a spirit level. I've been building something in the, in the garden uh, recently and with wood and needed to use a spirit level. And when you put a spirit level up against some, some wood that you've fixed together, um, it tells you whether you've got it right or not. It in no way sorts the problem out. <laughs> you can't then go to the spirit level and go, please sort this problem out. It's not going to help you. You might be able to hit the wood back into position with the spirit level. But really, the spirit level is absolutely useless, other than telling you there's a problem. And it does that very well every time, it seems, for me. So it diagnoses the problem. That's what the law does. It shows us that we are sinners. Now, in our age, in our therapeutic age, we really bristle up against anything that says there's something wrong with us. We really bristle up against that. And you might feel that even as a follower of Jesus, knowing that you're in Christ, your identity is in him. You might bristle up against that as well, but certainly our cultural age does. We want, generally, we want tinkering. We want maybe a bit of therapy. We want a change of mind here. Sure, maybe a bit more yoga. Something that's going to like realign me. But to acknowledge there's something deeply wrong with me, I think really gets our goat up. We don't like being told that our identity is a sinner. We like being affirmed in our identity, whatever we might have chosen that to be. But the law, what God is doing through the law is identifying the problem and diagnosing the problem for us. The reality is that unless we're shown that we're sinners, we'll never cry out for salvation. If you don't know you're drowning, you won't cry for help. So if you're out in the water and you just, you know, you're struggling, but you're like, okay, I'm fine, but I'm not really drowning and then suddenly you've drowned. If you, if you never get to the point where you're like, actually, I need help, you're just not going to cry out for help. If you don't know you have cancer or a serious illness, you're never going to, maybe with tears in your eyes, say, doctor, please, please help me. Like, we do need a diagnosis of this problem. And so the Lord did a wonderful thing for Paul. He speaks very highly and positively of the law because it brought him to a place where he realized that he needed help, that he had a major sin problem. And so the question comes to us today is, I wonder how you, um, how you stack up to the law. How do you stack up to the law? Maybe you know some of the commandments that God gave Moses. Maybe you know some of the words that Jesus said where he took, you know, it's it's one thing to not murder, but what about anger? What about anger in your heart? Took it to a whole new level. You might have been able to outwardly fulfill some of the law before, but in your heart, 100% of the time, every time, every day, in every situation, man, like... I have fallen woefully short. I wonder how you compare. 
So we've seen so far in chapter 7 then, we are dead to sin, but we're alive to Christ. That's good news. The law shows that we are sinners. So the law has a good purpose. It diagnoses the problem. And Paul now gives a personal example of his own experience with the law. And that's the rest of chapter 7. In essence, he's saying in the rest of this chapter that salvation doesn't come by trying harder. Because that's one of the temptations. If you realize you fall woefully short, something inside of us goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. I'm going to do better next time. This won't be a problem. I'm not going to fall short here again. I've, I'm going to learn my lessons. So we try harder. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. Now, there are verses 7 to 25, yeah, to the end. There's probably like five, six, seven different interpretations for this verse that are justifiably held. Like, you, with good conscience, you uh, could hold any range of these views. Um, so, <laughs> tough one to preach. Um, I think to essentially, there are, I could probably put them in two main categories just to help us orient ourselves. The first is that this is Paul describing uh, his own experience as a believer. So it's present day, this is my experience with the law and with sin and with my flesh. So that's one option. The other option, which I'll argue for today, uh, will be that this is Paul uh, going back as a Jew and describing his experience of living under the law without Christ. Okay? So there's different views, and what I really want to say is that they can, like, those can be justifiably upheld. This is not a primary matter of salvation, so we're not to fall out over it. Um, so just you know, feel at ease. If, if I'm going to unpack something and you just think, actually, I, I think something different, that is fine. Okay? Right. Let's read the verses. We'll start with verse 7 again. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it, is, it used what is good to bring about my death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, 
sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not, uh, for I do, not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, uh, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Okay, I don't know if you've been following along. It's a tough, tough passage. (laughs) Verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Okay, we made it. Or at least we've read it. It's another thing trying to understand it. Okay, one reason we might read this as a born-again believer, especially that that verse like, um, I do what I don't want to do, like that sense. I think one reason we might read it as a born-again believer is because we can relate to it. Our experience of sin and of trying to follow Jesus and follow what he says is hard. And sometimes we fall. Sin has a very real presence in our life. It might be that you, you just keep, like, you keep getting angry. And you think, oh, I'm not going to do that next time. And yet, you get triggered and again, like, it flares up. Again, it might be looking at porn and you think, I'm not going to do that again. And yet another time rolls around. Every time I get cut up in the car, maybe. See red. It also, one reason we might, another reason we might read it as a born again believer is because it looks very similar to the a verse in Galatians 5:17 that says for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do so Paul there is is really describing this almost warring thing of the flesh this uh, and and what he wants to do that the desires of the flesh, that they are against the spirits. There's almost these two warring parties that are against each other. And that's very similar to the dynamic that Paul is describing uh, here in Romans 7 as well. I'll give a couple of reasons as to why I've landed or feel convicted to um, interpret it that 
This is Paul as a, 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 a okay. Let me get my words right. As a pre-converted Jew, so that he's speaking of his experience in the past before knowing Christ. The first is that. I believe that the themes of Romans 7 and Romans 8 really are to be taken together. Okay, 7 and 8 taken together. And that the themes of Romans 7 and 8 are introduced in Romans chapter 7, verses 5 to 6. So maybe just head, head there. So almost like these, these two verses are an introduction to then what is going to be unpacked in the rest of chapter 7 and chapter 8. So, verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. So that's the rest of chapter 7. I believe that's Paul as a pre-converted Jew. Then verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So something has changed. And I believe Paul there is, is describing... He's been saved. He's a born-again believer. And we get the beauty of that in Romans chapter 8. So Romans 7 gives us the problem, the law's inability to deliver us from sin, just like that uh, spirit level that just can diagnose the problem but can't sort it. Um, And then uh, verse 6 describes life in the spirit. It gives us the solution, divine deliverance through Christ and a life lived in the spirit. A beautiful life. The second reason that I think this is speaking of uh, Paul before he became a Christian is that I think the language just seems to go too far for a spirit-filled believer. I don't think it describes someone necessarily struggling with sin, but someone who has actually been defeated by it. Mastered by it. Verse 18 says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, we might at times use that language. Maybe it's hyperbolic language. But I think it leads me to think, actually, there's, he's mastered by something that he needs saving from and delivering from. Those who are in Christ are born again. We have a new heart that God gives us, and that new heart has new affections, affections for Christ. The Spirit comes to live within us. We have a new master. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we are set free to live for Christ. So we're no longer bound by our flesh. We can say no to ungodliness. We therefore are not victims. Okay, we can say no to ungodliness with the Spirit's help. Okay, it's the Spirit living in us that enables us to say no to ungodliness. So where does following the law leave Paul? Like if if he's describing his experience of of following the law to the letter for his whole life, hoping that it's going to save him, Where does this passage describe uh, how he is left? Well, first of all, he realizes that he's too weak to do what is right. He's too weak. That the law always gets hijacked by sin, by the flesh. 
and we're unable to rescue ourselves from sin's damning power over us. I, I mean, if you tell a kid, like, don't put your hand on the hob, like, that's exactly what they want to do. They're like, well, why not? What's going to happen? Will I really burn myself? You know, they, they're just going to push the boundaries. Even for us as adults, if you get told not to do something, something within you goes, how dare you tell me? I'll decide for myself what I want to do. I'll find out what the consequences are of that. I'm not going to trust you. Something, you know, inside of us. And yet as we, you know, as we do that, I think we realize we're weak. You know, again and again and again, we think, yeah, I've, I've got this. And yet we fall short. And Paul realized that. Tried to follow the law and couldn't. So he realized he was too weak. It was useless to try and try and try again. He may well just ditch that, knowing he's not going to get any different answer from it. Second of all, where does following the law leave Paul? Well, he realizes that the law isn't the answer, that the law is absolutely powerless to change us, and that anyone who seeks to use the law will only find frustration, slavery to it, and ultimately condemnation. We need a savior. We need deliverance. That's what the point of the law is. If, if you found that hard work, as hard as I've found it, just explaining it, then use that as something to communicate, like, we need saving from it. We, this is just not going to help us. We need delivering from it. And that's where Paul cries out. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is the conclusion of an exasperated man who has tried his hardest to be a law-abiding Jew but has fallen woefully short. Essentially, the law has killed him like an unrelenting slave master who never moves an inch only to find that his slave's body has given up the fight. The The master has gone too far. Just unrelenting. And the slave has given up. So Paul has come to the realization that he will never find salvation in the law. And that reality leads to the helpless cry of salvation. So what about us? What about you? What's your, how do you relate to the law? How do you relate to rules? Have you ever come to that same realization as Paul did? What a wretched man I am. Have you done that first as, as an unbeliever, being born again? Recognizing, yeah, I've tried to live life my way. It's not worked. I've either tried to, you know, follow a load of rules thinking that that's going to make me the best person I can be, or I've just followed whatever I thought was best. Either way, got to a point, man, I can't do this. So first as an unbeliever, but secondly, maybe as a Christian, as a born-again believer, maybe you've slipped into unhelpful habits of legalism, of rule-keeping, 
of living by the law and not by the Spirit. So having been justified by Jesus, it's possible that we, we try to make progress in our life then by following the law. So we think, yeah, I'm saved by grace, great, I'm in. But then the game or the, the playing field, the rules here now, well, it's the law. It's the Mosaic law. So I'm going to just find out what does Jesus want me to do. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make sure not only I do it, but probably the people around me follow this as well. And I'm going to just live my life by the law. A list of spiritual do's and don'ts. Go to church. Read the Bible. Tithe your wages. Quit smoking. Stop drinking. Block porn. These are all obviously good goals, but they can easily become a joyless religion of law and duty. And it's not what Christ has for us. It's not a spirit-filled life. Salvation is not a matter of the will, of knowledge, of education, of trying harder or 12-step programs. The flesh is too strong. And if anything, I just would, would love to say to you, like, give up. Give up on the flesh. You can't do it. I can't do it. Give up. God at times, has to, oftentimes, has to break us before he can rebuild us. Give up. If you're giving up in a crumpled heap, just broken, that's okay. That's a good place to be. God loves you. You're his child. He'll build you back up. He'll love you affectionately. He's got you. Okay, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Okay, some good news here. (laughs) Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You get this sense of Paul, just an exasperated man, so thankful that Jesus came. So thankful that he's not just searching around in the dark, looking for a solution for himself. A saviour has come. A saviour has died has taken his place, has perfectly fulfilled the law and given him his righteousness. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. He perfectly fulfilled the law where we didn't, where we can't. He then gives us his perfect righteousness so that we can then be welcomed in. Welcomed in now, welcomed in on the great judgment day. There'll never be a point if we're in Christ where God will say, no, you're not in. No, you're not welcome. That'll never happen. So we can be free. We can be children who are never fearing the wrathful judgment of God. We can rest as his children and follow him in a spirit-filled Life. It's a completely different position. We're not trying harder. What did Steve say last week? Was it we, we don't achieve it, we receive it. 
Okay? A child who's trying to achieve the, the love and affection of their parent is really obvious. But a child who just receives it like that, you can tell the child's free. It's re- like they know they're loved. It's a beautiful thing. So here it says, we are delivered from death by Jesus Christ, our Lord. So two things that Jesus, that there are others, but two things I just want to cover before we come back to worship. First of all, he delivered, delivers us from having to perfectly keep the law. So I mentioned this uh, briefly a moment ago. So Jesus fulfilled the law. We see that in Romans chapter 8. I'll read verses 3 to 5. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh. So Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law and therefore it's been fully met in us. The perfect one died. God's justice is completely met and so we are considered as those who have perfectly kept the law. There is therefore now no condemnation. We are welcomed in and we will you know, beautifully unpack that next week in, in Romans chapter 8. The next thing, though, is that he delivers us from the sting of death. From the sting of death. When we die, we are welcomed into the presence of Jesus. Okay? When we die, we're welcomed into the presence of Jesus. You've got the robber next to Jesus on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So if you die today, you will go straight to be with Jesus. Okay? So there's no sting in death. (laughs) That is all good news. Tim Keller says that all death can now do to Christians is to make their lives infinitely better. That's incredible. Like, (laughs) death has no sting. Absolutely no sting. It makes our lives infinitely better. We therefore need not fear death. Okay? We therefore need not fear death. We can at times uh, be fearful of death. It can have a grip on us. You can think like, I just want to prolong that well into the distance. I don't want to think about that or I'm scared of that. We don't like thinking about it and yet it's so important for us to be prepared to die. Now I know I'm mostly speaking to a load of young people who will hopefully have many more years ahead, but it's good even at a young age to be prepared to meet our maker and to know what that will look like. And it will look like a warm, incredible embrace 
from our father. Like the prodigal son who's welcomed home. A party. No shame. Jesus will be there, (laughs) thankfully. The one who perfectly kept, fulfilled the law. So God the Father won't, it's not going to be like, let me just get the rule book out. (laughs) How did you do with that one? How did you do with that one? Oh, yeah. Okay, that was really bad, that one. None of that. We'll just be pointing to Jesus if we're standing at all and able to, but we'll just be like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We'll be welcomed in. A fatherly embrace. It's a wonderful love of the Father. And then we will be made fully ourselves. Sanctification will be fully complete. In a moment, we will be made to be like Jesus. In a moment. That which was destructible, now indestructible. That which passed away now will no longer pass away. He delivers us from the sting of death, the fear of death. He's a wonderful deliverer. He knows exactly what we need to be delivered. He, he knows that in terms of for perfectly fulfilling the law, but he also knows exactly what each and every single one of us needs in terms of appropriating that to ourselves and living a life not of the law, but of the Spirit. He knows exactly what that looks like. And so he will walk with you. You are positioned in Christ, perfectly justified, perfectly righteous. So that's a great place to start. But then we get to live by the Spirit as well. Let's stand. In one sense, it's a hard one to know sort of how to finish. Just being honest with you. Um... I just want to read some verses from um, Romans chapter 8 because really we're just breaking this letter up in order to preach it, but Paul just flows straight in. And when Phoebe would have read the letter out to the churches in Rome, she would have just carried on with the good news. So I'm just going to read it from uh, the message paraphrase. Romans 8 verse 1, and then we'll... We'll worship, and I think Joe's going to um, lead us into communion. No, we're not doing communion. We're not doing communion. We'll do communion next week. Right, we'll just read some verses, and then we'll worship. Sorry, Joe. Right, with the arrival of Jesus, maybe close your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, and, and as you look at him, or imagine him, look at someone who has perfectly done what you couldn't do and so all your sin all your brokenness all your fear and anxiety and and efforts know that he took them on himself and know that he perfectly did it where you couldn't and that he welcomes you in as a result 
with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us.